listening to the audio podcast of Kingsport First Assembly. If you would like more information about our church or you would like to plan a visit to be part of an upcoming service, we invite you to go to our website at k1church.com. Now, here's this week's podcast. You know, years ago I was running a race. I used to run on Saturday mornings. And um, if you've ever ran races, you know that you have these these stops along the way and um, there's people that'll be out there holding little cups of water for you. Anybody ever ran a race like that? Know what I'm talking about? Never could drink the water. I'd about drowned. I'd run by and grab my cup and I'd try to drink that stuff and next thing I knew I was gagging for the next quarter of a mile. So I just learned to tough it out and when I got through, man, I was as hungry as a thirsty as a camel. And then I would just load up on the water. Well, this morning, I need water to drink, but it's kind of hard to drink in front of y'all because I'm going to get choked on it. Hey, this past Wednesday night, we uh, discussed the, the, uh, the idea of praying in agreement. And we dealt with the different aspects of what it means to pray in agreement. Now, those of you who have been in, in charismatic or what we call spirit-filled circles or Pentecostal circles, you kind of have a perception of what I'm talking about when I say pray the prayer of agreement. We want somebody to agree together with us in prayer. But praying in agreement is, is more than just one thing. And this past Wednesday night, we talked about those three different aspects, at least three different aspects as I see it, when you pray the prayer of agreement. The first one is agreement with the will of God. And you've got to be praying according to what God wants you to do. The scripture said if we ask anything according to his will, then we have it. And the second thing is you've got to pray in agreement with our faith. Jesus said it's according to your faith. In agreement with your faith, these things will be done. And then lastly, and, and generally what we think about when we think about praying the prayer of agreement, it's, it's important for us to ask people to pray with us, to be praying about the same things and be believing with us about something particular. And this past Wednesday night, after we taught on that, I, hand, I gave out a, a handout sheet to everyone, and we all came to the altar, and we were praying the same biblical prayer. And we took a prayer from the, from the Old Testament, and then we kind of added to that what that particular item might involve in our life. So basically what was happening is we were all coming to the altar, and we were praying in agreement with the will of God, We were praying in agreement with our faith, but we were all agreeing by praying for the same things. And in the midst of that that list, tucked away in that list of 24 different requests uh, that we were asking God for corporately, and by the way, when you ask God for something corporately, you use experience that corporately, you know? We were talking about the book of Acts when they prayed corporately. You know, their corporate prayer led to corporate power. And that's the way it is when you pray the prayer of agreement. But, uh, you know, one of the things that we were praying for on that list of 24 different items was we asked God to give us his heart and his thoughts. Together, corporately, we were praying for God's heart and God's thoughts. Now, if you believe like I do, and I hope that you do, that God answers prayers that are consistent with his word and his will, and God answers prayers to draw us closer to him, and God answers prayer to accomplish his plan in our life, when we were all agreeing together for the heart and the thoughts of God, then surely the result of an answer prayer like that would be great blessing. Not only great blessing to us, but great blessing through us as well. And I've thought a whole lot about 
you know, that teaching the other night and, and our time around the altars together. And, and as I have, there's been a scripture that's come to mind that, uh, that reveals some of the words of Jesus. And that scripture is found in the book of Matthew chapter 22. And I'm going to read it to you this morning from the message. <laughs> it's a couple of verses, actually, verses 37 and 39. And Jesus said this, and again, I'm reading to you from the message today, that, that paraphrase. Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your passion and prayer and intelligence. This is the most important, the first on any list. But there is a second to set alongside of it. Love others as well as you love yourself. And these two commands are pegs. Everything in God's law and the prophets hangs on them. Now, if you read different versions of the Bible as I do, then you know what that scripture says in those versions. Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might, with all your strength, and then love others as you love yourself. Now, in this passage, Jesus is really getting to the core of what a priority of the follower of Jesus ought to be. What should be our passion? What should be our priority as his followers? Now, you could ask a lot of followers of Jesus, you know, what is it that we should be concerned about as Christians? And you more, more than likely would get a, a, a myriad of answers because people are going to answer just off the cuff. You didn't, you didn't ask them five minutes ahead of time. Would you think about this question? But if you just were to ask somebody right off the cuff, what do you think it is that we ought to be concerned about as followers of Jesus? Well... No doubt you'd get a lot of different answers to that. But when Jesus answered that question, when somebody said to him, what do you see as the most important thing? Jesus said this, and he didn't have to wonder whether it was the right answer because he knew. And his answer ultimately should be ours. And that answer, of course, is to love God and to love people. Now, for many, the answer to that question might be knowledge. For others, it might be wisdom, it might be, it might be anointing, it might be righteousness. And all these things, no doubt, are important. But it, when it comes to Jesus, all the things that we should be concerned about as Christians came down to this very simple thought, love. Love God with your heart and love others the same way. Our quest to know and understand God, to draw near to Him, won't get very far. If, if you're doing it the right way, if you're heading down the right road, you won't get very far until you discover that God is love. And if your passion, if my passion, if our ambition is to be conformed to His image, then love at some point will become our primary aim because that's what God is. So often we don't experience God's best because we're not asking for God's best. It's not that we're not asking for things that are worthy to, be at, to, for, to, to ask God to do, but when you really want the very best, ask for the very best. Sometimes we don't get the very best because we didn't ask for it. But Jesus said in the kingdom, in the life in which he rules, everything in that kingdom is based on this one great thing, this this one great ambition, this one great command, and that's the command to love. And when we do that, all the other aspects that we're hoping for, all the other things that we're asking God to do in our life, 
have a way of being fulfilled because everything, according to Jesus, everything hangs on these two pegs, loving God and loving others. And for love to be realized, like anything else in life, there has to be desire and there has to be discipline for them to happen. It's like success in anything that you want to be successful in. Success is not really the result of desire, although you've got to have desire to see it. Success is the result of ambition and attitude and action. Someone said that accidental success isn't really a thing that exists. Success depends upon intention. It relies upon a dream, upon design, upon determination, and determination includes discipline. I remember a few years ago, Wanda and I were having a meal with a family that included several daughters. If I recall, they were all daughters. I can't remember if there was two or three of them there that day. <coughs> Excuse me. And one of those daughters was finishing high school. And, you know, as, as any adult, you know, you, you have the tendency to ask kids when they're about to graduate from high school, well, what do you want to do now with your life? <laughs> and I never will forget... When we asked that question, the young lady who was about to graduate from high school, this was her next, this is what her goal was in life. She said, I'm going to go to college and I'm going to be a cheerleader. <laughs> you remember that conversation? <laughs> you know, I'm not trying to be unkind, but. It was obvious that she had no understanding of both desire and determination and discipline. It's obvious that she had never been a cheerleader. It was obvious that she had no idea what was involved in being a cheerleader. She had just come to the conclusion that now that she was graduating from high school, even though she'd never been a cheerleader, that was going to be her goal. She's going to go to college and be a cheerleader. Wanda and I had, we both found that to be amusing and sad at the same time. That here was a young lady who really had no understanding at all of what was involved in success. She thought all she had to do was think about it and dream about it, and from there it would come to pass. But one learns in life that anything of significance, anything, any great accomplishment involves effort. And the greater the significance, the greater the accomplishment, generally the more effort that's involved in it. And the same thing is true for spiritual ambitions. If your ambition is to know the heart and the thoughts of God, if your ambition is to follow the priorities of Jesus, which is to love God and love people, then I promise you effort will be involved. Desire will be involved. Determination will be involved. And discipline will be involved. You see, knowing what to do, knowing how to do it, may, may come together, but they are two different things. Knowing what to do and doing it are not the same things, even though they are connected. And one of the great misunderstandings that people have about love is that love is, is feeling. Love is feelings. You know this morning that love will affect your feelings and your feelings will affect your love, but love is really more about choice than it is anything else. 
Choice trumps feelings. The thing I've come to realize in my life is feelings are way overrated. And I cannot let feelings dictate my life. Because there are times when I simply do not feel like doing something. There are times when I go home and I sit on the couch, I don't feel like doing anything else. But when water snaps her finger and tells me to do it, I, even though I don't feel like doing it, I better get up and do it. Sometimes feelings can be overrated. Sometimes you're not going to feel like a spirit-filled believer. Sometimes you're not going to feel like you're saved. Sometimes you're not going to feel like anybody cares. Sometimes you're not going to feel like things are going to work out. But feelings can be way overrated. But I want to tell you, love is more than feelings. Love is about choice. Choice trumps feelings. And it's not a choice that you must simply make one day. But if you want love to be a part of your life, it's the result of daily choices. Not just something that one day I make the choice to do this, but you'll have to make choices every day if you want that love relationship in your life because love is the result of your choices. And that statement applies both to God, it applies to our spouses, it, it, it applies to every love relationship that we want, every love relationship that we have. And in the Bible, you'll discover principles that make love happen. And then it's our choice. Then it becomes our choice to either accept those principles and apply those principles and thus accomplish the goal of love, or we simply don't. But it, at that point, it's really up to us. And even though those guidelines exist, the choice is ours, isn't it? God may give us principles and God may give us direction, but God doesn't make us do a thing. We have to make the choices to do what God instructs us. And I believe that the Bible reveals those principles to us because they have a way of making love have depth and duration. You ever know anybody that was madly in love one day and somehow or another, you know, with a little bit of passing of time, of time they all of a sudden decided they didn't love another person? So they went off to love somebody else and then to love somebody else and to love somebody else? Well, they never understood that you know, if you really want a love relationship, it's not about the way you feel today. It's about what you're willing to do today and tomorrow and the next day. And when we follow the principles of God, then we, we have a whole lot better handle on what it takes to have a love that's deep and a love that is enduring. And I want to share with you some of those things this morning. I don't think it's an exhaustive list by any stretch of imagination. But it's just some things that I see in the Word of God that I think are important if you and I want to have a love relationship of any kind on any level with anybody, whether it be your spouse, your children, your neighbors, your friends, your co-workers, your co-worshippers, whatever the case might be, any love relationship has to involve at least these four things. The first thing I would tell you is this. If you want a love relationship that's both deep and one that will stand the test of time, there has to be fellowship. There has to be fellowship. Fellowship is a word that's strongly connected to Christianity, isn't it? We talk about fellowship. It's a word that we, we use often, and it's usually something that people are looking for when they're searching for the right kind of church to become a part of. They want to know, does that church have good fellowship? 
Now, I know what some of you are thinking, that fellowship means potluck and picnics. You know, does that church have good potluck dinners? Does that church have good picnics? But the truth of the matter is, fellowship is a lot more than potluck and picnics. Fellowship is a biblical word, and it's also a biblical experience. And if you read the book of Acts and you, you get a little of insight to what early, what early Christianity was like and the way, way early believers connected with one another, this is what you will find. Acts chapter 2, beginning at verse number 42, if you'd like to read along with me. And I am going to read from the English Standard Version. It said this, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and to breaking of bread and prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as many as had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in homes, there's where your potlucks come in right there, but breaking bread in the homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. That not only tells us that fellowship was a part of their life, it gives us a little bit of insight as to what fellowship looks like. Fellowship for these early believers, which I think sets a pattern for us, shows us that we need to pay attention to things like communion. We need to pay attention to things like community. We need to pay attention to things like companionship and comfort and sympathy and motivation and encouragement. We need to pay attention to counsel. We need to pay attention to a sense of belonging to one another. In the book of Colossians chapter 2 and verse 2, you'll find these words right here. He said, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love. He's talking about fellowship there. There's a connection in love, being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is in Christ. Fellowship affects the way we connect with God. And the way we connect with God affects fellowship. But fellowship was a part of their life. And go back to Acts chapter 2. Fellowship included sharing life in such a way that it, it brought a sense of awe, not just to those who were experiencing it, but to those who were watching it. People saw fellowship. And when they saw fellowship, when they saw that companionship and they saw that connectivity and they saw that compassion and, and that companionship and that encouragement, and they saw him growing in the Lord and experiencing the things of God, it caused people to want that. Why? Because they longed for love. They were attracted to fellowship. They may not have understood why all of it was happening, but they saw fellowship occurring. They saw love, and they desired that in their life. And I believe as they did, the Holy Spirit drew them into fellowship. And the Bible says the Lord added to that fellowship daily people who were being saved people who wanted to be drawn in to fellowship. People desire fellowship because fellowship is a part of love. People aren't necessarily just drawn to the things we think they're drawn to when they're looking for church. It's not always about the great worship. It's not always about the great preaching. 
it's not always about the potlucks. It's not always about, you know, somebody said, the, you know, the big screens, the tight jeans, and the smoke machines. Sometimes it's just merely about the connection that they see between people. Love is that important. Fellowship is that important. And if you want, if you want a love relationship on any level with anybody, fellowship is a necessity. There has to be a willingness to have companionship with somebody and connect with them and encourage them and comfort them and work together. There has to be that there. The second thing, in addition to fellowship, that has to be a part of relationships if we want a love connection with anybody, a love relationship, is there has to be forgiveness. I'm convinced that one of the most challenging, difficult things that we have to deal with as a part of life, probably the one thing that goes beyond the difficulty of losing a friend or a loved one to death is forgiveness. Forgiveness is not an easy thing to do, but it's an absolute necessity in love. Forgiveness is how we survive offense. An offense happens in every relationship. It doesn't make any difference what relationship you have with what person. At some point, there will be offense that takes place. It happens in marriage. It happens between parents and their children. It happens between siblings. It happens between co-workers. It happens between uh, co-worshippers. Any relationship and every relationship, at some point, will have to know how to deal with offense. And the reason why we forgive, listen very carefully to this, the reason why we forgive offense is because we see the relationship as being worth it. We see the relationship as being worth it. Every person in this room this morning, if you've been married for any length of time, you've been offended by each other. But the reason why you worked through it, the reason why you forgave is because you see that relationship, you see your marriage as being worth it. It's worth the hard work. It's worth pressing through. It's, it's worth dealing with the tough stuff. It's worth dealing with the hurt feelings. It's, dirt, it's worth it dealing with the disappointment because more than anything else, you just want that relationship to be there. People just kind of give up and walk away when things get tough because they really don't, the relationship is not that important to them. You do know that forgiveness is work. Sometimes it'll be more about discipline and obedience than it will be about feelings. Because sometimes you will be, you will be forced to forgive and not feel like doing it. But Colossians chapter 3 verse 13 tells us this, bear with one another and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. So if you really want a loving relationship on any level, not only does there need to be fellowship, but there also needs to be forgiveness. Then the third thing I would say to you this morning is this. There has to be forbearance. There has to be forbearance. This is another principle that kind of goes against our nature as human beings. 
And that's the reason why the Bible talks about it being a fruit of the Spirit. Because many times the only way we can have forbearance is if the Holy Spirit helps us to have it. Now, we don't use the word forbearance a whole lot in our vocabulary. We use a synonym for the word forbearance, and that's patience. But if you, want a, if you want a connection, if you want a love relationship with anybody on any level, I promise you at some point, this is going to require some patience. And sometimes it will require a whole bunch of it. But Paul tells us in the book of 1 Corinthians that love is patient. We're also told in the book of Ephesians chapter 4, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing one another in love. I don't know if you caught that or not, but I'm going to go back and read it. I don't know if you caught something or not, but let's go back and read that verse again. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Patience requires alongside of it humility and gentleness. Humility means the absence of feelings of superiority or being better than others. And it is seen as a, an act or a posture of lowering oneself in relation to others. It's the absence of pride or self-assertion. Someone with humility tends to esteem others better than themselves and often put others' interests ahead of their own interest. Patience. You've got to be patient. There's got to be humility. That's why we find in the book of Philippians these words, do nothing from selfish ambition. Can you see, humility is the opposite from selfishness. But he said, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, in humility, count others as more significant than yourselves. You know, we recently saw our first grandchild get married. And uh, boy, there's nothing that makes you feel old like watching your grandchildren get married. I thought I felt old when I saw my children get married. But when I saw my son, grandson get married, I thought, my goodness, where's time gone? But the thing is, is in the couple of times that we've seen Nathan since then, I've seen a change in him. I see a, a, a maturity in his life. And one of the surest signs that a person is finally getting it is when they understand that it's not all about me. That's when you understand life. Is when you understand it's not all about me. And I see that in I see I think part of it is because he wants his marriage to to last. So whatever she wants he's given her. You know, if she wants the house a different color than what he wanted, just paint it. You know, he's being humble. Actually, he's just being smart. But humility is when you count others as more significant than yourself. Because if you walk around thinking it's about you, you're going to have a very hard time having a loving relationship with other people. Because it's going to all hinge on whether or not they love you. Or whether or not they see what you see as being the most important things. 
And sometimes it doesn't work that way. And the second word he said was this. He not only said with humility, but he said also with gentleness. And that word gentleness means kind and careful. Our world and in this room are full of people who are living with the wounds of others, by others, who were not careful either in their words or their actions. Sometimes those words are intentional and sometimes they may not have been intentional, but nonetheless they happen. And you can't always go through life thinking, you know, it's just the way I am. The thing that you learn about children, you know, I've I, I probably told you this before, but when Juan and I first got married, I really anticipated having several children. I came from a family of five children. Wanda came from a family of four children. Wanda was the only good child in the entire family. All the rest of them were knuckleheads. I'm just teasing. But I, I kind of wanted several children. I mean, that was normal to me to have, you know, a bunch of kids in the house. And then we had to. And then I said to myself, I don't want any more. I'm afraid a third one might turn out like one of the first two, and I'd just soon not do that. But the thing that you learn about children is no two children are exactly alike. And you can't deal with each child the same way. You say, well, they're, they're, both, the, they're both my child and my wife's child. We raise them in the same home. The, you cannot raise two children the exact same way because they're not the exact same child. So some of them you have to be more careful in other areas with them than you would the other child. Some, some of them you have to be kinder to them in some areas than you would others. And at, in the end, you just love both of them in a way that they receive it and you have a love relationship. But if you go through life saying, well, this is just the way I am. If y'all want to be my kid, you just got to accept the way I am. If you want to be in a loving relationship, this is just the way I am. You got to deal with it. Then, you know what, you're just not going to... It's going to be a small world. It's going to be a small world. Sometimes you just have to be loving and patient and humble. One day, my sister and I got into a real bad squabble about something. We, she and I were always squabbling except for the time that she was a, a little baby and had the most beautiful color hair, and she sat in my lap with my scissors in my hand, and I cut all her curls off. That was probably the last time she and I ever got along. And to the day my mom died, she kept reminding me one day I cut off my sister Kathy's hair. One day Kathy and I got into a squabble about something. I don't know what it was. We were always fussing. And mom told us, she said, you're going to go to that corner and she's going to go to that corner and y'all going to stay there till you can kiss and make up. I said, okay. I got my pup tent. I packed me some bologna sandwiches because I wasn't going anywhere anytime soon. And I went to that corner and I stood there. I don't know how we ever got out of that corner because to this day, I think I finally did come out of the corner and kiss her on the cheek. And then I washed my face and I washed my mouth out and everything else. <laughs> Who wants to kiss your sister? But if I was ever going to go outside and play again, if I was ever going to have another relationship with her and with my mom in a way that needed to be, I had to make up with my sister. And we did, and we get along. 
We don't see each other and talk to each other very much, but we get along. But you understand that you have to have a lot of forbearance. Because people are just going to be different than you. They're going to think different. They're going to have different ambitions. And it all depends on how willing you are to be patient with them as to whether or not you'll have a loving relationship with them. The next word I want to give you may seem like an odd word when we're talking about the idea of having a love relationship with other people, but it has to do with faith. It has to do with faith. What does faith have to do with loving others? Well, at some point, we have to have the faith. We have to have faith in what God says and what God does as we follow His guidelines. We have to have faith that if God says this is the way to do it and when you do this, things will work out the way they should, you have to have faith in that if you want to have a loving relationship with other people. Because you see, sometimes we don't want to do it, but God said this is the way that you have it and this will be the result. So you either believe that, you trust that, and you move on or you don't. Being obedient to God will sometimes be very counterintuitive to us will not always feel like doing what God tells us to do. But we must have faith that God will do what He says He will do as we do what He tells us to do. This is what God says in Isaiah chapter 55. So shall my word be that goes out of my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose, and it shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. What is that saying to us? You have to believe that. You have to believe that if God tells us to do something and God tells us He will do something, when we do this, we have to believe when God says, if you add two and two, you will get four. You have to have faith in that if you want to have a loving relationship with other people. I don't know about you. I, I, uh, you know, I can help my my grandchildren in a lot of ways. But if they need help with this new math, forget it. My my children cannot even help their grandchildren with the new math. What I do know is, if you take the sum of two different things, you're going to come up with a result. But somehow or another, they, they go about it all the long way, you know, and I think, my goodness, it really takes faith to believe that's going to happen. Let me just simplify it for you and say if you put this with that, you're going to end up with this. If you take this and take that away, you're going to end up with it. You know, sometimes it just doesn't make sense, but you have to have faith that it will do it or you won't be obedient to it. You won't, you won't follow that plan. And I'm telling you this morning, if you want a loving relationship with anybody on any level, if that's your ambition, if that's your aim, if that's your priority, then at some point you'll have to have faith in the principles of God. You have to be obedient to God, and it will be an act of obedience, not always an act of feelings. Because as I told you a little bit earlier, feelings can, feelings can be overrated. Feelings can be deceptive. Just because you feel it don't mean it's so. 
You have to have faith in God. I want to ask you to stand with me this morning. See, I think really when it comes down to it, there are some things that ought to be our priority. There ought to be some things that we're in agreement about. Like I told you, we pray the prayer of agreement. There ought to be some things that we're, we're, we're heading all in the same direction, hoping for the same thing at some point. And even though we may all have lots of different things that we have ambitions for and you know, we want to see happen, I mean, at what point do we see what Jesus said as being the core? At what point do we see that as being the priority? Loving God with all we have and in loving people. It does require some effort. It does require some discipline, determination, some desire. Are we willing to put forth fellowship? Are we willing to forgive? Are we willing to have some forbearance? Are we willing to walk by faith? And I believe if we do, the end result will be just like it was in the book of Acts chapter 2. People will look at fellowship. They'll look at loving relationships and say, that's what I would like to have. I want to close by giving you another personal illustration. I apologize. I've given you several of those this morning. But when Wanda and I first got married, we were, we were literally just kids. Not just in age, but in experience and, and in knowledge and ever sense of the word, we were just kids. To be honest with you, I was probably more of a kid than Wanda was. But one thing for sure I knew, I knew I, I wanted to spend the rest of my life with her. And I knew I wanted to be a good husband to her. But I got to be honest with you, I really didn't know what that looked like. I did know this, and I'm not trying to be unkind in the least. I did know that I did not want the relationship with my wife that my parents had with each other. I knew I didn't want that. I knew I didn't want the relationship that her parents had with each other. I really didn't know what a good father looked like. I didn't know what a good husband looked like. All the guys that I hung out with as kids, they had no dads. They were raised by single moms. You think being raised as a single by single parents is a new thing. It's not a new thing. It's been going on a long, long, long time. Both of my best friends growing up were raised by single moms. I had no role models. I had no clue in the world what a good husband acted like. Didn't know what he'd done. And at some point in mine and Wanda's relationship, she introduced me to some other people in her family beyond her siblings, which I already told you what knuckleheads they all were. And I'm teasing. She knows that. They know the reality, but anyway. 
Wanda introduced, introduced me to a cousin of hers and her husband. And you know, honestly, I, I looked at this, I looked at this love relationship, and I thought, that's it. That's what I'm looking for right there. I saw a man who loved his wife and doted on his wife and and you know I, I don't want to use the word spoil but in a sense he spoiled his wife I've only seen really two occasions in my life where I felt like a man really spoiled his wife that was one of them and another one was we had a couple in our church a few years later that man spoiled his wife so much they'd go out to eat and he'd sit there and cut all of her steak up for her before she ate Well, I hadn't gone quite that far in spoiling Wanda. But, you know, I, I saw their relationship and I thought, that's it. And I've told him many times through the years how much I appreciated him and what a role model he was to me. And I wanted to, I really kind of wanted to follow in his steps on being a good husband. I haven't always done it. Don't always do it now. But it is my aim. I guess the thing I'm trying to illustrate to you this morning is I would like it if people looked at our life and looked at the way we have a love relationship with each other and they would say, that's it. That's what I'm looking for. That's the kind of church I want to be a part of. That's the kind of marriage I want my marriage to be. Is that, that's the kind of man friends and man men relationships I like to have in my life. That's the kind of friendships I would desire. When I see that fellowship and I see forgiveness and I see that forbearance and I see that kind of faith in action, I just look at them and say, yes, that's what I would like to have. That's my prayer for us. It's my prayer for you that you would experience that kind of fellowship. And I want to tell you, that kind of fellowship only comes because God helps us have it. So can I pray for you this morning that the Lord would help you have good, loving relationships and that the Holy Spirit would help you not only by dropping in your heart that desire but also by giving you that determination and showing you the discipline that it takes in order for it to happen. So I want to pray for you right now. Lord Jesus, across this room, I pray for marriages. I pray, Lord, that the marriage of every person in this room today is the right kind of loving relationship. I pray for people across this room and the, the relationship they have with co-workers and co-worshippers the relationship they have with their children or with their parents or their grandchildren. Lord, it would be a, a love relationship that you help us with. Help us see how to fellowship. Help us, Lord, forgive. Help us be forbearing. And help us, Lord, with our faith to just keep on doing what you tell us to do even if our feelings say do otherwise. And I pray, Lord, if there's anybody that's either in the sanctuary or watching us today online, I pray, Lord, that they see the relationship we have with you. And they desire that relationship and 
maybe to this point they haven't reached out and said Lord Jesus I want a relationship and what you tell us in the word Lord is that the only way we can come to the Father the only way we can have a relationship with the Father is through the Son Jesus Christ maybe they've always wondered how can I have that how can I have that intimacy with God and that trust in God and that fellowship with God I pray Lord this morning if they're listening or they're watching that today is the day when they'll just stand before you and pray a simple prayer that asks for forgiveness and ask you for fellowship. While heads are bowed and eyes are closed this morning around the room, we're not in the business of in any way, shape, or form wanting to make you uncomfortable enough that you would leave this room and miss heaven because feel like we're going to make a spectacle out of you in some way. But I want to lead you in a prayer. And if you're in the service this morning or you're watching online, I'm going to ask you if you would to pray out loud with me these words. Heavenly Father, I want a relationship with you. And I understand I can have that If I ask you to forgive me to come into my life, Lord Jesus, and become my Savior and my Lord, I truly believe, Lord Jesus, that you are the Son of God, that you forgive me, and you'll become my Savior if I ask you. So I'm doing that right now, and I pray that in your name. Amen. joining us for this week's podcast. If God has touched your life through this ministry, we ask you to let us know. You can go to our website at k1church.com and click on the Contact Us tab. There you can leave us a message or prayer request. You can also like us on Facebook or follow us on Instagram to stay up to date with all that is happening at K1 Church.